voyage. Otzi the Iceman is a real person. His body was preserved in ice for 5,300 years before being discovered by hikers in the Italian Alps in 1991. The unique opportunity afforded by Otzi's frozen state is that scientists were able to perform a forensic analysis on him. They studied the copper axe he was found with, a rare and highly valuable tool of the time that marked Otzi as someone of special status. They were able to learn what he ate for his last meal, study his dozens of tattoos, and find out how he died. He was murdered. The BBC reported in 2017 that the director of the South Tyrol Museum of Archaeology, which houses Otzi's body, called in a detective from the Munich Police Department to consult on Otzi's murder. It sounds like a joke, but that really happened. The detective felt it was telling that whoever killed Otzi left behind his valuable copper axe. He felt this meant it was not a crime for profit, but more likely a personal vendetta. They also studied a variety of injuries evident from Otzi's body. In reconstructing how he died, National Geographic reported that one of these was a deep wound on Otzi's hand, cut almost to the bone between his thumb and index finger, evidence of a severe fight between Otzi and an assailant. Otzi must die. I've thought on it for many days. There is no other solution for what he's done to me, for what he took from me, for his pride. Because I am the son of Jakku and he is not. Because everything this world was meant to be for me lives in him. Utsi must die. Away in the woods, I studied the axe. It was like something delivered from the gods. None of our tools were this smooth. None had the shine of this creation. It really was like magic, what Utsi had done. I could take it to another village and trade it, and it would fetch a massive return. But as I stood alone in the woods, catching my breath after fleeing Utsi, a terrible feeling came up through my body. A thought wormed its way into my mind and would not be denied. If I took the axe now and traded it now without question, I would be banished from the village. I'd have to build a new dwelling in a new village and establish myself new fields and on and on. Too much of a chore. Not to mention that I hated the idea of Utsi getting to cast me as a thief. No, there was an easier solution. If the sight of the axe thrilled me this much, it would frighten others. I had my answer. I took the axe to the village shaman. He lived away from the main dwellings of the village. He was a recluse who would come to see the others whenever his skills were called for. He had not yet seen the axe, I was sure. Rube, I am in prayer. It's urgent. Is someone sick? Yes, but not in the way you mean. Utsi has used black magic to create this axe. It's... What is the blade? How did he... I've never encountered a thing such as this. Maybe no one has. You say Otzi made this. Through black magic, yes. Then how is it you are the one who brings it to me? I took it, but I had to for the good of the village. I knew you would be the only person wise enough to handle this situation. Rube. I'm glad you're here. You can tell the shaman yourself what you've done. This man has stolen what belongs to me. 
How could you have made this, Otsi? I forged it. Perhaps conjured is the right word. Something no one else could do? Of course, only the mind of Utsi could be great enough. I never claimed to be anything special. If there was a way to create an axe like this without black magic, everyone in the village would do so. Everyone in every village would do so. I learned from my Uncle Eric. He's a Vincan smith. He showed me how. What proof do we have of that? Silence, Rube. Otsi, what intentions have you with this axe? I will trade it for wheat and other goods for my family and for the village. Good. Good. We should take away this axe forged of black magic before it curses our entire village with its evil. But I should be the one to trade it. I'm the more skilled negotiator. (laughs) It's mine. I made it. With rocks I helped you find. You had no idea what I was looking for and mocked my search. I have to go. I will take it when you die. Robe, he is your chief. All the more reason to speak up when he's wrong. Utsi, you think you know better than anyone else. Our people, not to mention your wife and children, go hungry because you are a weak trader. But you let no one else lead trade with the other villages. You never listen to any of us. What use is there in listening to a jealous fool? You're getting tired, old man. I could take that axe away from you easily any time. I must pray on the issue of the axe. The gods will decide, not I, and not either of you. For now, both of you, leave me. I left, as did Utsi with his axe. I returned to my dwelling that night alone as I always was. I thought of Thela, how warm it was to lay with her. As my weariness melted into sleep, my thoughts of Thela became a dream of Mara, lying beside me in Thela's place. I heard her voice in my dreams. You were shrewd in how you handled the bartering today with Anders. The other party must be certain you will walk away to give their best offer. How did you maintain your crops all this time by yourself? Hard work. Thankless hard work. There's no one, there was no one for me to share the fruits of my labor with. Thank you for your sweetness with Annas and Dorva and Zaki. Of course. We shouldn't say this in front of the children, but I'm excited to maybe have a child of our own now. Otsi was a good man, but he took too many risks. He abandoned me too many times. He couldn't see how old he'd gotten, how frail. I would hold him and feel I was supporting his frame. With you, I feel small in your arms. Safe. You will always be safe with me. Like a child needing attention, my thoughts pestered me, reminding me I was dreaming as I hoped desperately never to wake up. But eventually I did wake up, and my home had never felt so cold. Would Mara ever say these words to me? Could she? Now certainly not. But maybe in the future, if Utsi were less of a man in her eyes, if he threw his failures, let her children starve, and drove her to me. There was a way to be sure this would happen. It was an extreme step to take. I could face consequences for taking it. But without that axe, Utsi's family would starve, and Mara would have no choice but to accept my help. I got up. I traveled to Utsi's dwelling. It was late. Everyone was asleep. I moved cautiously, mindful to make as little noise as possible. I searched for the axe. Each sound I made, a new quake in my heart for fear Utsi or his wife and children would wake. But they didn't. And eventually I reached Utsi and Mara, asleep in each other's arms. 
But see, the fool that he was had hidden the axe right beside himself in Mara in a clay pot. I'd overestimated him by searching his dwelling so exhaustively. His hiding spot couldn't have been more obvious. I removed it. I stood there above Utsi and Mara, holding the axe. Mara's belly kept growing larger. It looked about to burst. Another child for Utsi. How easy it would be to swing this axe into the soft flesh of Utsi's neck. He'd bleed to death in moments. Ah, but doing so would ruin Mara. It would guarantee she'd never be with me. No, Utsi's time would come, for now I left into the night with the axe. I hurried home. The sun was rising. I needed to prepare my things for traveling. The closest town was no easy journey, and I might venture further in search of the best trade for the axe. But before I could depart... Where are you going? Even a chief should announce himself before entering another man's dwelling. Good thing there are no men here, then. Where are you hiding it? What makes you think I took it? I felt a quiver in my hands as I lied to Utsi's face and did my best to suppress it. Zaki saw you take the axe last night. He did. Show me what you're packing. Zaki is a boy with a strong imagination. Why would I take your axe? You want it for yourself. Just like you want everything I have. This was settled yesterday. You're going to trade the axe for wheat. I admit I was wrong to take it to the shaman. It's beautiful. Yes. Maybe my son is mistaken. Would you help me recover it? <laughs> I nearly laughed. Utsi was too honest to deceive me. His change of manner was too sudden. He was an even bigger fool than I thought if he believed this deception would work. My friends are waiting for me in the village I'm traveling to. Which village? By the Standing Stones. I must leave now. He stood in my way. Not speaking, not gesturing, just there, considering. I wondered if he would attack me. I hoped so. It was always easier to tell a lie based in truth. If Utsi attacked me, I'd be justified in defending myself. He was the one who intruded on my home. The killing would be viewed as legitimate. No, he left. I did not plan to wait for him to return. I left as well, hiking away from the village. The axe, of course, hidden amongst my things. I walked until it grew dark. It was a full moon. I always thought of Mara when the moon was full. When I grew tired, I would halt and look into the sky, at the stars and the mysteries they held. Something made my chest heave, a feeling it took me time to name. Joy! I had the magnificent axe in my possession. Soon it would bring me a strong haul of treasures. The universe had blessed me. This is how things should always have been. But that didn't stop my gratitude. After much more walking, I reached a village near three tall standing stones. There was a thatched hut I recognized. I went inside where a tall man greeted me. I showed him the axe and let him know I was ready to part with it for a price. The tall villager and his family treated me to a meal of roasted duck, flat bread, lentils, and honey cakes. Over the course of the meal, I made sure to mention I already had another trading partner for the axe in another village. 
This wasn't true, but it was a way to get a better bargain. The tall villager offered me nine goats for the axe. This was a large prize, but I wondered if I could get more. It was a friendly negotiation amidst a great meal. The tall villager had a sister who sat with us. She was pleasing to look at, and she looked at me in a way that a woman had not for some time. Again, I felt that unfamiliar heaving in my chest. I felt myself sitting a bit taller. It was pride. My father, Jaku, might have been proud of me. For once, to see me being treated with respect as a man of status, with something of value to offer. Mid-sentence, as I was speaking to the tall villager, I stopped. Tears welled in my eyes, but I postured as if I had something in my throat. I had, I had realized this might be the happiest night of my life. I shoved the thought away and resolved to hold higher ambitions for myself. If all went to plan, Mara would come to appreciate me for feeding her and her children, and eventually she would be mine. But that was for the future. For tonight, I moved to sit beside the tall villager's sister. I felt a pang of guilt, as if I was being unfaithful to Mara. But I was only here for the night, and my skin hungered for someone's touch. It occurred to me that it had been years since anyone had touched me, more than in simple greeting as customs dictated. Having food, having shelter, these were basic needs. But was the touch of a loved one not a basic need too? I heard myself lying to the tall villager's sister. I spoke of returning to the village and supporting her with the spoils from my sale of the axe. I said anything I could think of that might please her. While I spoke to the tall villager's pleasing sister, my mind calculated my next move. I resolved to seek out a prosperous man I knew, the northerner, who lived nearby. It was worth seeing what he could offer. I could always return to the tall villager. After our meal, weary from my traveling, I laid down to sleep in a hut on the straw mat. To my honest surprise and strangely shameful joy, with Mara's face in my mind, the tall villager's sister laid with me. I tried to close my eyes and pretend she was Mara as we touched. I thrilled at her touch. I had forgotten what a woman's touch felt like. I was grateful for it, and a new kind of guilt for lying to this kind woman menaced my heart. But I buried it and did my best to enjoy her company. When we both neared sleep, I placed the axe under an animal skin and rested my head atop it. Once more, I dreamt of Mara by my side. Only this time, when I turned to embrace her, she vanished. Do I get a kiss too? Utsi was there, standing above me as I had stood over him and Mara with the axe. Only his axe was dripping with blood. Say something smart, please. I tried to speak, but I... <clears throat> I couldn't. I put my hands to my throat and they came back coated with blood, which was dripping down to my chest. Utsi smiled at me. He had already slashed my throat with the axe. 
Let's make your dreams come true, Rube. I awoke wet with sweat. I quickly left the hut and made my way to the northerner. The northerner was blonde and blue-eyed and living in solitude like I did. He examined the axe carefully. After much discussion, he offered a bag of seeds. I rejected it and threatened to leave. He then showed me several large gold nuggets. I agreed to take the seeds and the gold and gave the northerner the axe. But as he bid me farewell and move back towards his home, I felt myself reach for the bow Utsi had given me and pull an arrow from the quiver. The calculation had happened in the recesses of my mind and had been accepted in an instant. The arrow went through the back of his throat. He choked on his own blood, a terrible omen given my dream the night prior, but I chose to accept it as a mere coincidence. It took him several minutes before he died. The waiting felt like several seasons, but it was now a good trade indeed. The northerner had insulted me with a low offer for the axe. He had no mate, no children, no one would miss him. I slept in his dwelling with the axe. I woke in a fog, thinking perhaps it was another nightmare, as I saw Utsi pulling the axe away from me. But this was not a nightmare. No! He had to have been following me this entire time, which meant he witnessed my murder of the northerner. I pursued him into the forest, but I lost him amongst the trees. I had woken in time to prevent him from stealing the axe from me. I pulled myself up a tree, to the very top, leaning precariously from a thick branch. I could see the entire forest. If Footsie went north, he would return to the village near the standing stones. There was nothing for him there. If he went south, he would return to our home village. Surely that was his destination. But from up in the tree, I would have been able to see Utsi had he already exited the forest. There was only one possible conclusion. Utsi was hiding within the forest. I searched, trying to be as nimble as a cat and as silent. Eventually, a sound penetrated the silence. I debated using the bow and arrow, delighting at the irony, but decided it was too risky. A miss and I would lose the surprise. Besides, I wanted to do this up close. I savored his panic. After so many years, I was in control of our relationship, in the position of power. He twisted and kicked and threw his body backwards, sending us both tumbling down the hilly forest ground. We stood five paces from each other and glared at each other like two wolves. In our struggle, the axe had fallen from my pack and landed between us. I saw you. Thanks for the arrow. Only you would turn a gift into such evil. You didn't know him. I know you fired an arrow at his back. How much food could we get for the village with that gold? And I still have the axe. I told you I was a more skilled negotiator. Your only skill is infection. You poison the lives of everyone around you. And you are so pure? Tell me then, why did your field get ruined in the storm and mine didn't? The gods have finally smiled upon me. Your time is over. You're mad. 
truly mad? Maybe so. We both went for the axe, and in our struggle over it, it fell from our hands and slid down the hill. I pinned him down and struck him, but he jabbed his thumb into my eye. Ah! The tactics of a weak man. Ah! I drew my flint dagger. It ends here, old man. He put up his hands to block the blade. It did block the blade at a great cost. He drew his own dagger and swiped it at me. He grazed my cheek, a wound of no importance. I bore down upon him with my feet kicking and stomping until his eyes closed and he stopped moving, his face hardly recognizable anymore. It felt fitting for Utsi to die out here, alone, for once in his life. Smoke swirled above me. Surely I was dead. And this was the afterlife. Rube had bested me. What would he do now? He would try and woo my mate. She would want nothing to do with him. She'd know he killed me. Would he hurt her? Anger burned deep in my soul at the thought that I'd be helpless to stop him. The villagers were simple people, easily swayed by a savvy tongue. Rube could talk them into anything. I should have killed him long ago. Then I heard what at first I thought was the voice of a goddess. Welcome to the living, warrior. My eyes opened fully. The smoke was swirling into a hole in the roof of this woman's hut. She was a red-haired woman with raven feathers in her hair. She sat by my side looking down at me with a gentle expression. I sensed she had saved me, though I didn't know how. I felt my fist tighten. I was alive. It had taken me so many years to realize, for me to live. Rube must die. Rube must die. Rube must die. Rube must die.